0: what we observed in the dream machine. My day job is to try and figure out how the brain works and how in particular it gives rise to conscious experience. On the one hand, we have all this gray goo inside our skull connected to a body. And on the other hand, we have these subjective experiences. We experience color, pain, joy. We have thoughts, there's a whole inner life going on and understanding how these two domains relate. That's the ultimate objective. Of course, my day job is making progress very slowly to this ultimate goal. But that's what it involves. It's the science of consciousness. Dream Machine is this fascinating piece of art science. It originated about 60 years ago in the work of an artist called Brian Gyson. And he had this experience while on a bus in southern France, so the story goes, when the sun was setting and it was shining through a stand of trees, so it created a flickering light, a stroboscopic effect. And he was dozing off, his eyes were closed, and he had all these extraordinary visual experiences. Colours and shapes and wonderful things happening in his mind. And when the lights stopped, these experiences stopped, and he was fascinated by this idea and discovered that there was also a, a neuroscience of it too. The pioneering British neuroscientist, William Gray Walter, in the 1950s, had been studying this effect, which he called stroboscopically induced visual hallucination. And he would put people in a lab and, and shine flickering lights at them with their eyes closed and record what happened in the brain. Walter and Gyson and a mathematician called Ian Sunerville, they built the first dream machine, which was very charmingly lo-fi, really. It was just a bright light suspended over a turntable that rotated. It was a cardboard cylinder with slits cut in it. So it gave a kind of stroboscopic effect. And if you sat in front of it, apparently, with your eyes closed, you would have these visual hallucinations. You would see colours and shapes and sometimes much other things as well and it would feel quite emotional. This was the first Dream Machine. Geison had the vision that it would outdo the TV, that it would become the dominant culture. Of course, that didn't happen, and it remained a fringe object. I got interested in this idea about 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago now, I hadn't heard of geisen at the time, but I came across this effect of stroboscopic, light-inducing visual experiences, and from the point of view of a neuroscientist interested in consciousness, this is fascinating. You have this intervention, and somebody has their eyes closed, you change their brain, and you generate all these wonderful experiences. So in my research group at the University of Sussex, we started working on this with my colleague David Schwartzman back in 2012, and like the original Dream Machine, it remained pretty much a fringe project for us until about three years ago when a woman called Jennifer Crick got in touch and told me about Geisen and suggested this vision of reinventing the dream machine for the 21st century. But to do it bigger and better, make it a full audience journey that was completely rooted in the underlying neuroscience and philosophy. And that is the dream machine that we built. It became a collective experience, still based on the same fundamental principle of flickering white light on closed eyes but now 20 or 30 people at a time would go into a space designed by prize-winning architects they would take a seat and the journey would begin still just white for a clearing light the dream machine journey was both a collective thing and an individual thing everybody had their own journey but they were doing it in a shared space Afterwards, they would come out into a reflection zone, which we helped design as well, where they would be guided to reflect on their experience and learn a bit about the neuroscience and philosophy that was involved. One of the things that's really exciting about the Dream Machine is that it really is an art science collaboration that is generating new findings and new insights, I think, for both the sciences and the arts and the creative industries. In the lab, we've been studying this phenomenon for a while we still don't really understand how it works. Why is it that flashing a bright light on closed eyes gives rise to these really transformational experiences for people? What we're learning from the dream machine experience is how different this experience can be for the same precise situation. So we can have 30 people in a dream machine. They may have vastly different experiences. This is really new and this is something that the scale of the Dream Machine has afforded us. In a typical neuroscience lab, we'll look at one person at a time and it takes a couple of hours. So we've probably studied maybe a hundred people over the years, maybe a bit more. And in the Dream Machine we've had tens of thousands of people. Now we have maybe less finessed data, but we have different data and we have scale. We can look at the variation of response, how what emotions people feel, the kinds of visual experiences they have, and we can also ask what predicts these different experiences, why they have the experiences that they have. So yeah, a lot of new data is coming up, and this is the thing about science, the dream machine installations, at least the ones in 2022, have now finished. But for us as scientists, this is just another step on the journey and a big part of the work starts now in analysing these oceans of data that we've collected through the Dream Machine experience. One of the things about working on the Dream Machine that really hit home for me was that the art-science collaboration was absolutely fundamental to all aspects of the project. In many previous projects, the science has been a little bit of an add-on, an extra bit to give it maybe a sciency gloss or you get some data, But for the dream machine, right from the very beginning, the science, the philosophy, the engineering, the design, the music, these have all been intimately related and equally essential. From my perspective, we were involved in the health and safety, the core experience design, figuring out the audience journey to situate the experience within this adventure into consciousness, perception and the mind. Without being overwhelming for audience members, we didn't want to make it too pedagogical or give them any feeling that they were taking part in an experiment. No, the offer was an experience for them. One specific thing that we learned from the dream machine was the powerful emotional effect that it can have. we started this project thinking mainly about these interesting visual experiences, but especially when coupled with the social element, so people do this in groups, and with the music that was beautifully composed by John Hopkins, especially for the dream machine, people were having very profound emotional reactions and overwhelmingly positive ones too. So one of the things this is leading on to in the research of my own group at Sussex now is looking into the therapeutic potential of this kind of intervention for treatment of things like mild to moderate depression and anxiety. And this, of course, will be conducted in a much more systematic, controlled way in the lab. But really the inspiration has come from what we observed out in the wild in the dream machine. So I learnt a great deal about how to develop this kind of project and how to best work with other creatives and engineers and so on to realise something that was much more than the sum of its parts. And we're seeing the impact of that. The, The dream machine is generating insights, generating data that would not have been possible otherwise and it's also igniting curiosity and interest in neuroscience, in philosophy, in the mind in audiences that would not have previously realised that they had this interest. Because fundamentally it is interesting how the brain works, why we are the people we are. I mean, this is, these are issues that interest everybody, but when they're dressed up purely in the language of neuroscience and philosophy, it can be quite off-putting. But if you reveal to people in the first person, in their lived experience, that, my gosh, their brains are powerful, you know, that is a very, very compelling motivation to, to look further. Sparks is produced by Unboxed and brought to you by the RSA. To find out more about RSA Fellowship and our Design for Life mission, visit thersa.org.